It's your boy. It's your boy, the nonprofit sector connector. Two flights up from the kitchen. I just left a big old mug of coffee, but somebody's going to bring it up to me in a little while because the coffee pot wasn't ready. The show's called Philanthropy and Focus, and I'm telling you about coffee. This show it is my mission. It is my journey. It is my journey to give back, to support, to shine a light on the nonprofit sector that does incredible work, that does very important work. And I would argue... I'm not a big argue, but if you want to argue, I would argue with you that if it wasn't for the nonprofit sector doing this work that I'm talking about and that we're shining a light on, well, then the work doesn't get done. The people don't get the support they need. Second ever episode of this show is called, well, Dr. Larry Grubler was on the show. It wasn't called, I don't know what it was called, but Dr. Larry Grubler from Transitional Services for New York, TSINY, was on my show. And he said, Tommy, you know what? He goes, we all need support at different times. And I think that's very critical to bring up right now, because we're going to be talking about mental health today. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. And my guest, Matt Kudish, is here from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Matt, before we get even into anything, I want to say good morning, good afternoon, and good night. How are you? What's going on, sir? Good morning. I'm good. <clears throat> Mental Health Month is uh, the busiest, but also uh, the best month of the year. Although I will say, we can talk and should talk about mental health the other 11 months of the year. Uh, we should just talk about it. We talk about it a lot in May. Yeah. Well, if you want, I mean, we can have you on a show once a month. I mean, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Let's get Let's through one, Tommy. One Let's get through one, Tommy, before he sees it. If Matt might not ever want to come back. I, <laughs> I got to call out. It is Memorial Day, and I'm reading this right off of the interweb. Memorial Day is a day. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend. Monday is Memorial Day. It is a day in which we we recognize those who have died in active military service. We remember these individuals, and it was traditionally observed on the 30th of May, but now it's always on a Monday in May. And uh, it's the it's as well as a recognition for the obvious purposes for those who have who have paid the the ultimate sacrifice for this country and for freedom. It's also, a, a, it feels like the beginning of summer, which maybe that's the funny, funny Matt and I talked earlier this week and he's seen some of the other shows I do and I often have a shirt and tie on. Gang, if you're only listening to this in podcast land, I'm not sure what kind of flowers they are, but they're orange and red. It's a nice Hawaiian shirt. If, you, if you're only listening to it, you should go check out the Facebook or check us out on YouTube because then you can see the shirt. I love a nice Hawaiian shirt. Um, I like to, uh, I don't, I don't really like to blend all that well. I like to uh, stand out a bit. And if you pay attention to me or pay attention to this show, you would know that by now. But back to the thing I was saying about Dr. Grubler, that, you know, I sit on the advisory board for TSINY. They serve 4,000 individuals with mental health issues. I was just at their luncheon, 4,000 individuals each year. I was just at their luncheon last week. Um, my my raffle basket game is strong. I won three baskets that day. So so Matt, if you have a gal or something coming up, I'm <laughs> nasty when it comes to buying the right tickets. I think my biggest secret is I buy the most tickets. So I got a best chance of winning to the chagrin of some people at my house when I keep coming up with more and more baskets. But I, I want people to know when I got into this work nonprofit wise, and and there was really two things that drew me the most. It was the conversation around how we work with and support individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities. And it was how the heck are we going to end this stigma around the mental health or mental illness conversation? It's become something that I traditionally daily get up on a soapbox and rant and rave about. And I talk about sometimes not in too much depth, depth but my own stuff that I worked through, you know, my own new diagnosis with ADHD, which challenges a lot of what 
you know, <laughs> you ever been to Grand Central Station, everybody, for those of you who are in New York, and you know the board when they change it? That's what it's sometimes it's like in a, in a head, in the brain of somebody with a beautiful brain with ADHD. That's a challenge, man. Let me tell you. Um, I always joke, Matt. I say, you know, I just found out I had ADHD. I was the last one to find out. Because <laughs> you tell people, you know, yeah, we knew that for the last 45 years, kid. We, 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 you know, somebody should have told you. Yeah, that tracks. Right? Exactly. But I, I put it out there because it's real. And I put out that I have my own mental health challenges. And I know people very close to me who have some challenges, some serious and, and some not as serious. But the point of the matter is we all need support. And I was listening to something. It's sort of a meditation this morning. Um, and YouTube is great at giving you other things that you're looking for, you know, so I end up in this sort of the rabbit hole of, of, uh, of YouTube, cer certainly uh, very early this morning around 6am. And it was talking about the oneness of all of us that we really are one people, one group, one entity. And if we can remember that, and stop being so, I don't know, obnoxious to each other, and just find the love and find the compassion and hug people. You know, Matt, I was out recently and I was like, oh, my God, it's so great. People are hugging again. I remember we were like, no, I have a mask. I can't touch anybody. I have to sanitize my my produce. And now we're back to a point when we have that because I believe we all are one. I feel myself ranting. But I must say, I believe that, the, you know, the statistics say that one in five people you meet is experiencing mental health issue or having a challenge. I've, we've featured this conversation on the show before, and I will say this, and Matt and I talked about this the other day, if it's one in five, those other four people are connected to someone who's experiencing these challenges, these issues, and we need to find ways to, I said it this way, Matt, I'll, and then we're going to introduce you and get into this conversation, but I say it all the time. If I leave the attic this afternoon, and I would hate for this to happen on a Memorial Day weekend, but if I leave the attic this afternoon and I trip and I twist my ankle, Maybe I'll get a, somebody to give me the business and say, watch where you're walking. I'll get a hard time a little bit for my boys, my my family, whatever. But at the end of the day, I can go to the emergency room, the emergency department, and not there's no stigma attached to that. However, unfortunately, the way we address the conversation around mental health is not the same way we address the conversation around physical health. So why don't we just let's let's kick it off there. Let's CEO of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NYC. So NAMI, NYC, Matt Kudish, Masters in Social Work. Let me look, because I want to get back to where we talked about. Masters in Social Work from Columbia University, Masters in Public Administration from New York University. I will leave it there. I don't want to embarrass you anymore. We already talked about that before. <laughs> Tell me, man, what brings you to this work? What brings you to social work? What is there a catalyst? Is there a story? Was it a family thing? Tell us that, please, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me, Tommy. I really appreciate the chance to do the show with you and, and talk a little more about uh, what we do and, and the work and why it matters so much. And some of the things that you just touched on, I think we'll, we'll cover uh, more in, in while we're talking. But to start sort of at the beginning, um, I was, uh, social work was a change for me, a career change. And uh, I was really interested in finding something where I could give back and really feel good at the end of the day. And I started to kind of reflect on what I might, what that might look like, what that might be. And I realized that um, I thought I wanted to make a difference in the lives of young people who were dealing with their sexuality. <clears throat> so adolescents who were having questions about the sexuality, who, um, Maybe we're, we're realizing that they were LGBTQ and didn't know what to do about it. 
because for me, uh, coming out was a really uh, kind of complicated process as it is for so many people. And I thought I can make a difference in the lives of these, these young people. And I started to look at uh, pathways to do that. So what are the different ways that I could actually get to do that kind of work and found social work as, as um, a really great path toward that work. And so I um, enrolled and I applied and enrolled in social work school explicitly to work with adolescents who had issues with their sexuality. And normally in social work school, in your first year internship, they give you the opposite population and setting that you want to do because they want you to be well-rounded and not just sort of get some diversity, right? Like you and not just pigeonhole yourself and assume, you know, exactly what it is. I kind of show you the world and I don't know why, but I actually ended up in a teen center um, in the Bronx at an organization called Kingsbridge Heights Community Center. I was in their teen center and it was really interesting and challenging work. And I learned a ton, including, um, that I, I don't want to work with adolescents. So wait, 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 hold on. So, so, you, so typically they send you to something that is different from what you might think or an individual mm-hmm. who's going through this world might think they want to do. Mm-hmm. You end up pretty close to what you the work you might end up mm-hmm. doing and you realize, I don't want to do that work. Not for me. The teenagers <laughs> were, it was not for me. And you know what? So many people, <clears throat> excuse me, go into social work wanting to work with children and families, children, youth and families. And I'm so grateful because I realize <laughs> it, it's not where I where I connect. Let me say this, Matt. I am currently with my wife, um, who just brought me this big old cup of coffee. She brought me this new thing. It says, "Ask me about my dad jokes." That's the uh, that's the new <laughs> coffee mug. But um, I, I bring that up because uh, we're raising four t- children. Um, one of them is a teenager, and the others are certainly on their way. Well, another one's pretty close, and. Uh, yeah, I could understand why that would be not exactly the work you'd want to do. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, challenging. It's very, it was very, very challenging. Um, but, but what was great is that you know, fortunately, I'm kind of a when one door closes, a bunch of others open. And I, because that was early in my two year master's program, right. um, and so I thought, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, continue to learn and and participate in these programs, and we'll see where I land. So when I graduated. I just started applying for jobs that uh, sounded really interesting and they were all over the map. They were all different populations, different settings, different kinds of work. And where I landed was at a nonprofit organization in Brooklyn at the time called Park Slope Geriatric Day Center. It's now called the New York Memory Center. And they provide um, programs for older adults who are either physically frail or cognitively impaired. Uh, and they had a program for caregivers of older adults. And I became a social worker in that program for caregivers of older adults. And I fell in love with yeah. that work. It's I awful. fell in love with older adults. Uh, I fell in love with caregiving as an issue, which back in 2005 uh, was not really kind of recognized in, in the way that it is now. I think there's still some definition of terms issues with caregiver. We, I'm not a caregiver. I'm a son. I'm not a caregiver. I'm a partner or a spouse. But um, <clears throat> helping people, first of all, older adults are really ignored in, in our society. It's such um, a mistake, too. If I could interrupt you one second, I really don't get that. I mean, other societies, they value the wisdom and the, the experience of older yeah. folks. And and I, I hope we're making some advancements in that. But to me, it's like, 
uh, in this particular, in our society, let's just call it, say, the states, our society, which is a big old paintbrush I'm painting an entire country with. But in my experience, that's kind of that's what it is. We just these yeah. folks that they end up in, you know, left alone and 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 cared for maybe in some other way, but 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 not not often uh, revered as in other societies. There's reference. Well, and I'll tell you, it's not just sort of an, an of the people issue. Our government doesn't yeah. much care about older adults. When you look at the the mayor's budget, um, you know the Department for the Aging. He doesn't talk about seniors. Um, it, it's a sector that is largely ignored, both by human beings, each of us, sort of on the street, but also by the systems that we're we're relying yeah. on. Well, I, I mean, but again, don't we have to assume that those two things are interrelated? Because if the people were pissed off enough about that the seniors weren't being cared for, well, then we can go to our legislators and the people who run these cities. And yeah, that's a fair, very fair right? point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, not, so it's both, right? But it's the same. Yeah. But the same people who are running cities are the same people who might not care about grandma, you know, yeah. So in, yeah. in their own yeah. house, in their own family. And I, I, you know, you say grandma, and I think people think, oh, you know, why do you want to be working with older adults? I think the beauty of working with older adults, it's it's really complicated work. So yeah. they're they're physically changing, they're losing capacity to do different physical things. They may be developing cognitive impairment like Alzheimer's or dementia. They're experiencing tons of loss in their lives. Maybe their adult children are dying before them or their spouses or their friends. They're isolated, they're lonely, they're living alone. So the work is so, it's so complex and there's so much opportunity to really have a positive impact on their lives that um, I just fell in love with it. I, I loved it. And the caregiver piece yeah. as well. I, I want to say something. We're going to go to break in a second, but that caregiver thing, we have my friend uh, Alyssa Lewin from Nancy's house. She's been on the program. I saw her yesterday because I do a, a nonprofit leadership roundtable once a month. And um, Nancy's house is all about caregivers. It's all about focusing on the caregiver, giving the caregiver reprieve. And I remember what I would say. I said it probably four times on that program that day, but self-care is not selfish. We mm -hmm. must. And I don't want to be cliche and say you got to put on your oxygen mask first, although I think you should. Um, you know, but I'm a dad, a mom might not feel the same way. But as a dad, I believe you got to put your oxygen mask on first because I'm no good for anybody else if I'm no good for me. So that's something to consider. We can talk maybe more about that. Wow, there's so much. And we, you know, I know this goes into your role at, at NAMI and, and the leadership you do there, but I love the stories because it, it connects us to just, you know, you know, not only the organization, but to you, Matt, as a leader of the organization. So we will be right back. We're going to take a quick break. Philanthropy in focus. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. If you've ever plugged in, you've heard that song before. If you ever plugged in the show, that is my uncle Brendan Levy. He's not really my uncle, but I love him like family. We don't look anything like, so I say Uncle Brendan Levy. He's over at the Queen's Chamber of Commerce just about two weeks ago. His band, The Goods, uh, excuse me, they used to be called The Goods, Damaged Goods, because they're older men now. Uh, they were playing at Bourbon Street in Bayside, Queens, and we raised a few bucks for TSINY that night. And really, just to get the word out, again, it was earlier in this month, Mental Health Awareness Month. 40 years. The National Alliance on Mental Illness of New York City has been providing life-changing support, education, and advocacy to families and individuals affected by mental illness. Today, NAMI NYC's CEO, Matt Kudish, is with me on the show, Philanthropy in Focus. Sounded like Willy Wonka. Matt, let's get right back into it. You, you, you were drawn to make a career change. Social work was the way that it was going to be you connect with the senior community and you realize how much variety there is and how, how complex the work was. Let's take it right back there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the work with seniors is really fraught and complicated and, and uh, the work with caregivers is, is just as difficult, whether you're also a senior in the case of taking care of a partner or a spouse, or maybe a sibling or a good friend. And in many cases you are dealing with the same issues and in other cases, uh, very often you're an adult child caring for an aging parent, and that comes with its own challenges and, and issues and frustrations. And I think what we saw a lot at uh, Parts Slope Geriatric Day Center and New York Memory Center and aging in general is uh, many older adults develop uh, uh, dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease or other kinds of cognitive impairments. And that's even more complicated, both for the person and just just as much for the individual. So after uh, my years working at at ESGDC, and then I did a stint as the director of um, <clears throat> senior services at Knickerbocker Village, Newark, I moved over to the Alzheimer's Association. Oh, you did? Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. 
And uh, my time at the Alton Association was was really exciting because I, I was able to hone in and, and really become an expert in one specific issue area. And I worked at the Alzheimer's Association for 10 years. And during that time, I uh, took on more responsibility and um, over time became a, a member of the senior leadership team. And when that happened, uh, I started to expand my focus from direct service and social work and program development and design and implementation I started to learn more about fundraising and operations and working with the board of directors and marketing and communications and all the other aspects of nonprofit work and nonprofit leadership. And I got really excited about that. And I said, I want to run a nonprofit. And so that's when I went back to school. Uh, I was working full time and I was in school full time, which I don't recommend people do. Um, but that's when I went back and got my master's in public administration. And it was about the time that that program was ending when I was approached by the search firm that was looking for the new leader of NAMI New York City. No kidding. Okay. So I, I just want to make a couple quick shout outs. Tori Cohen over at Long Island uh, Alzheimer's and Dementia. She's been on the show uh, not too long ago. Um, Lauren Lacos has been on the show from another organization here on Long Island, and these Alzheimer's names get confused in my own head, so I want to make sure I, I get it right. Uh, Lauren is a CEO over at Alzheimer's Disease Resource Center here on uh, Long Island. So, Matt, I got some connections in, in that world as well. I want to, so, did you think that you would end up, when you were going originally back to kind of change in direction, did you think you'd end up in a leadership role or did you think you would stay in that direct care space? Because now, you know, it sounds like you get you come out with the public administration degree and, and and his search firm is looking and then you're in the role. So where were you with that? And it's yeah. interesting for that for other people who might want to be in nonprofit work to say some people may want to be at the top. Some people yeah. may not. I knew that I wanted to take on more and more responsibility because I'm pretty driven in that way. I don't know that earlier in my social career, I knew that I would want to run an organization. Right. But I will. I have to give a shout out to Marianne Nicolosi, who was the executive director of Park Slope Geriatric Day Center when I started as the, the social worker in the caregiver program. Because so I was 2005, I was uh, almost, I was 30, I was 29 or 30 when I graduated with my master's in social work. And I had worked in a lot of different organizations and or companies and, and sectors before. So I came to social work having a, a fair amount of work experience. And about four months after I started as a social worker in the department, the director of the program left the organization. And I went to Marianne and said, I want that job. And four months in, she took a chance on me and hired me. Awesome. And that becoming a director changed the trajectory of my social work career. Because it's very hard if you're not a position at a level to get to that level. Very, It's easy for a director to get another director job. Right. It's hard for a coordinator or a manager to get a director job. So Marianne taking that chance on me really, I believe, changed the trajectory of my career. So let me go in a different direction because, you know, we can move right past it, but I'd rather not move right past it. Marianne, you say she took a chance. How has that informed your leadership style to when you see somebody and you see this, this seed of ability, you know, and you see that they might be maybe a little too green, but maybe we got to take a shot. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I actually, so I really believe uh, that, 
it's all about your people. The work that we do in in, in all work, but especially in, in our work in nonprofit, it's the people. We are the people are the most expensive cost that we have. It's not you know program supplies. It's not the food we serve. It is the human beings who work, do the work. I really think it's important that we take chances on on people, give people a chance. It's not on that person only. It's on us and the organization and the manager to set that person up for success. So you don't just sort of throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. You you take calculated risks. And with the right investment, this person may be able to really fly. Well, you're stretching people too, though, It's is what I'm hearing. You know, they may not be there. Maybe they haven't hit all the cylinders yet. But, mm-hmm. okay, let's surround them and support them there. Otherwise... We can't always just wait till someone's ready, right? because then we we might be waiting forever, right? Yeah, we have to kind of, you know, the mama bird gives the, the baby bird a little push out of the nest, you know. And, Absolutely, right? Yeah. To- and I, and I think after you take the chance on the person, it's about communicating. So listen, we're going to offer you this role. We think that you can do it. We think you can grow into it we also want to be really transparent about what we see as those areas or skills that you need to work on and develop and we're going to invest in you we're going to give you information education so that you can develop those skills um and and become the 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 leader or the the staff person the program leader that that we think you can be you know i'll tell you something it's ironic i've always been when i've worked for large companies um i've always been in sales and i feel like uh you know i haven't even called out some of what we do now because let me just do this and then we'll come right back to what i was going to say so each month we decided or i decided that we would align with an awareness month to the work our agency does so vanguard benefits is our agency um we're an employee uh an employee benefits agency and we put out a lot of information each month relevant to the topic I'm going to talk about on my show. So there was a lot going on. So check us out, Vanguard Benefits on all the social medias, but specifically LinkedIn uh, is where I think you will really want to spend some time with us. Um, So I'm one of the partners in that firm. But prior to that, I'd worked for larger companies, Matt. And the thing I was going to say there is always being in sales. If you were put on a PIP, which is a, a, you know, we see that in corporate, the performance improvement plan. I never really, it was, that was kind of your warning. You weren't going to work there in 30 or 60 days. Like that wasn't, because it'd been to a point where now you're on that program. That was a way to let you know, you know, it's time to brush off the resume, mm-hmm. at least in, 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 in my experience in talking to people and working with people. Uh, I think, though, in other professions, that actually is a thing where it, it is a per- that means that where it means let's kind of get you on, you know, some programs. Let's get you on some developmental things. Let's get let's get you in a routine where maybe we bring a mentor in or we get somebody to to really bring you the support you need, the education you need. Maybe it's outside sources, whatever it might be. I think that's what's coming up for me as I hear you talk about, you know, as I said, maybe somebody's not there just yet, but you'll, we're going to do the check-ins. We're going to be aware, right? We're going to support maybe the the gaps or the areas of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to give a shout out to Lynette Verges, who's the COO at NAMI NYC, who ha- I have really grown as a leader from having the opportunity to work with Lynette. And, and she has really showed me uh, and, and, shown like by just by who she is and the way that she shows up at work how important it is to have real conversations and and come curious and not think you know why something's going the way it is and 
um, and really be a, a partner in, in someone's development. We actually, my senior team, we were just talking about performance appraisals and how none of it, when you're doing your annual review with someone, none of it should be a surprise because it's on the manager to be having conversations about what's going on, how things are working um, <clears throat> all the time. But I think what it really comes down to is a balance of compassion and accountability. And they can you can hold them both. I think I think that's really critical, especially as a mental health organization that's peer led. Yep. So everyone at NAMI NYC, all the the employees, uh, every level of the organization, actually, from our participants to our volunteers, which on whom we rely very heavily, to the staff members, to the board, we all either live with mental health challenges ourselves or we are deeply involved in the life of someone who is. Yeah. We are peer led. We're not necessarily licensed mental health clinicians providing a particular kind of therapeutic intervention. Our programs are peer support. So the people leading our programs also live with mental health issues or have, have a family member or a friend who they, they care deeply for who does. And so when we're, when we're talking about how, how mental health shows up in the workplace, that balance between compassion and accountability, we got to put our money where, where yeah. our mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me reflect on a conversation I had recently with my friend, uh, Yolanda Rubano Gross, who's the CEO of Options for Community Living out here on Long Island, just along the lines of, you know, during COVID, direct care type workers were in the office when many of us were home in our attics doing a new radio show other people mm -hmm. were in in facilities in group homes supporting those in need mm -hmm. uh and the interesting thing you know that just came up in a conversation between Yolanda and I was just about you know there was a point where we need to check in on staff's mental health issues those who may not be diagnosed with any sort of uh, it just diagnosed with the diagnosis. They don't have a diagnosis, but they are human beings who are now going through this unprecedented challenge that we went through the last three years. And that's an interesting thing. It, it's just, we must check in with our own staff. So from a leader yeah. perspective, tell me yeah. about that in your world too. Yeah. So as an organization that's peer led, when the pandemic happened, our call volume increased dramatically, as you can imagine. People were calling, wondering, well, how am I going to get my medication? What if I can't see my doctor? What if I haven't seen a doctor in a long time? And now this, this is exacerbating symptoms and I need a treatment team and I can't find anyone and we can't go outside and I'm panicking and stressed out. So my, my staff, they're the vessels for so many of these unresolvable, challenging, difficult, emotionally complicated issues. And now they're not only hearing all this from people, but they're thinking and wondering and worrying about many of the same things. In their now, own them, right? With now that's what I mean. We're all scared. So they're here, oh, you call, oh, I'm worried about my medication. Oh, I didn't even think about that. How am I gonna get my medication? What do I what am I gonna do about my family member? So to, we we had to and we also couldn't afford to not meet this moment as a mental health organization in the midst of the pandemic, which caused the mental or exacerbated an existing mental health crisis, I should say, how do we take care of our people while also ensuring that we take care of our community? Yeah. And that, you know, those those challenges, we set up a, a Zoom meeting um, every day at noon, the entire staff would get online and we would just troubleshoot and figure out how do we get our helpline live in, in a world where not everyone's coming to the office to answer the calls? How do we do support groups? We didn't do one thing virtually before the pandemic really uh, and and within i would say four to six weeks every single program we offered in person live before the pandemic was available online including pet therapy 
Like, oh, okay. You know what? That has to wait till we come back. Because I have a million <laughs> questions. Pet therapy. I got. I, we got a new dog. His name is Cheeto. Shout out to Cheeto, everybody. And listen, <laughs> if you uh, if you are on Instagram and you want to see Cheeto, follow him at my guy Cheeto. My guy Cheeto. C H E E T O. I didn't know, Matt. You set me up on that one. I wasn't going to plug Cheeto's Instagram, but it just sort of happened. With pet therapy, <laughs> we'll talk about that when we come back. Um, I also want to see. Maybe we'll talk about. The clubhouse setting, if you're familiar, I have a client um, over in, in Queens, and they also have space out in Staten Island, Venture House. So mental yeah. health clubhouse setting, maybe we get into that conversation. And obviously, Absolutely. you know, the programs and, and what NAMI NYC is really doing for the community. So we will be right back. It's Tommy D, Matt Kudish, Philanthropy and Focus. NAMI NYC is the organization. Right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's right. Cut through the static. Join me in the attic. I mean, but don't physically show up in my house. It's just like a, <laughs> it's like a thing. Just join me in the attic and, and come watch the show. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, so real quick, Matt, just call out because I, I was, I'm taking notes while we're at break. We're going to talk about, you know, uh, support groups, classes, helpline and advocacy work, things like that. Do me a favor. Shout out if somebody is in need right now and needs supportive services, how can they contact the organization NAMI NYC, please? Yeah, if you or someone you care about is living with a mental health challenge, I would encourage you to call our helpline, which is 212-684-3264. Again, it's 212-684-3264. Our helpline is a helpline by design. It's not a hotline. So we're not who you call in crisis. In crisis, you should call 988, not 911. 911 is for emergencies. 988 is for mental health support. They'll send out, they should send out a team of uh, mental health professionals and um, ideally one day peers and an EMT 
to help you with with whatever's going on. We're not who you call in a crisis, but we're who you call if you need access to more meaningful education, more information, if you need to talk to somebody about what you're going through. The beauty of NAMI New York City is that the work that, that we do, as I mentioned earlier, is all peer-led. And when we say peer, we mean people living with mental illness, and we mean family members and friends. Tommy, you said it at the beginning, one in five of us lives with mental illness, the other four are our friends, our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, our social networks, all the people we interact with every day at the grocery store, at the deli, at the bank. We are all dealing with these issues and our programs uniquely are available for the family and friends in the same exact way they're available for people who, who may be experiencing mental health challenges. And every single thing we do is available free of charge every single thing available at no cost to anyone guys that means you don't pay anything just like if free and no cost wasn't translating for you that means you don't pay anything that's what he meant <laughs> Matt, and i'll tell you yeah go ahead. well the one thing I, and then please don't forget what you're going to say the one thing is what i'm hearing from you is in challenging in being challenged with a family member a child a parent who has mental health challenges and maybe some real a, 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 a substantial and severe diagnosis you don't come with a handbook gang it doesn't teach you know it's not we don't know how to do these things and we shouldn't try to fumble through we should get the support from professionals who can give us that education that support and can really help us navigate through what could be some pretty challenging waters you couldn't, you couldn't have, I couldn't have said it better, Tommy, because what we often say is we're not born knowing how to navigate something as complicated as mental illness. We're not born knowing how to communicate with someone who is having a manic episode or is in a, a deep depression or is having an, has an anxiety disorder and is having a panic attack. We're not born knowing how to communicate with them. We're not born knowing how to support them and align with them. Because mental health issues are often invisible, we don't see them, the stigma is even more profound. And it's really difficult if you haven't lived through it personally to truly understand what's going on for someone else. So as family members, we wanna help. We want that person to be better and to get the, the support they need, but we don't know what we're doing. And most often we're making it up as we go along and we're doing it wrong. And so we say, well, just try harder, just get out of bed or shake it off or let's go out and we'll, you'll feel better um, or stop acting like that. What the hell's the matter with you? What we're, when we talk to people like that, we're, we're um, becoming more combative. The relationships are becoming more stressful. The individual doesn't, uh, doesn't feel validated. They don't feel seen, they don't feel heard. They feel judged, they feel shame, they feel misunderstood. So the relationship between you and 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 your your the loved one with mental illness becomes stressed and strained and very often fractured. Yeah, yeah. What people with mental illness need are people on their side. Right. They need the people who love them and care about them to fight with them, so that you can fight against the yeah. mental illness yeah. together. And when you participate in NAMI NYC programs and services. For family members, I'm talking about the family and the friend program, our education classes, basics, which is for parents of children living with mental illness, uh, family to family, which is for family and friends of adults living with mental illness. These are education classes, multi-week evidence-based, which means we know they work, our support groups. So the classes give you tools, toolboxes, 
tool, tools for your toolboxes. Mm -hmm. So if I try this and it doesn't work, I try something else. Or in this situation, I'm going to use that tool instead. What to say when, what not to say ever, how to say it, how to come up, how to, how to react and validate someone's concerns, how to join with them to better understand what they're going through. So you can separate the diagnosis or the condition from the person. Right, right. So I can hate schizophrenia, but I can love my sister. Right. Um, that's really complicated. But when you come to the classes, you learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. When you go to our support groups, and we have support groups that look at that specific diagnosis, so uh, friends and family of someone with a mood disorder, uh, uh, friends and family of someone living with bipolar disorder. Then we also have support groups for friends and families that are looking at identity more than the diagnosis. So we have Black Minds Matter family and friends, AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander family and friends, uh, Familiares and Amistades, which is a family and friend for Spanish speakers. When you go to the support groups, you learn how to sustain yourself on these journeys and come and talk to the group members who get it because they're living it too about, about how challenging it is. Celebrate the successes, talk about what's difficult. When families get that kind of support, the support groups and the classes, the recovery journey of the individual they love is exponentially improved. So what we see when people, when families participate in our program and are better able to connect and support their relative and their friend, that person, the relative or the friend, relies on the emergency room less. They uh, are, are hospitalized less. There's a reduction in inpatient hospitalization. And there's an increase in engagement with community-based services, like our peer-based program, like clubhouse model that you talked about yeah. before. So it's win for the, the person living with mental illness because they're, they're not needing to go to the hospital. They're not needing to be hospitalized as much. They're participating in other programs. They're getting the help they need. It's win for the family because the family unit is now intact and that relationship is critical. And it's win for the system yeah. because we're not, we're not leaning on an already overstressed, under-resourced, mental health care system, if I can keep you out of the hospital, then someone who really needs the hospital and doesn't have another option can get in there more quickly and not sit in the emergency room for three days waiting to be evaluated and admitted. Wow. I, I, That's the power of family support. And it is uninvested in. We, NAMI New York City, our programs are free of charge because of the generosity of individuals, foundations, corporations, uh, we we have a budget this year of $4.3 million. We get 5% or about $250,000 from the government. The rest of the money is raised through philanthropy. Yeah. We live on philanthropy because the work we do is not covered by the city contracts. It's not reimbursable for insurance or Medicaid. It's not the kind of service, it's peer service, it's outside the system. So much so that it's not it's not invested in the good news, and I know we're going to take a break in a minute. No, no, keep, we're good. But I, I just, I'm pissed off right now, to be honest with you, because, and I want you to tell me the good news. But and I never curse. Not that pissed off is a big curse, but I try not. I try to be a good boy on the show. I always curse. I never curse on the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm angry because if we just made it just about money, that there could be more money saved in the system if this type of work was supported 
and funded by the government, by municipalities, and maybe by insurance companies. You know, like let's get the family involved. Anyway, you were gonna make your comment, yeah. and I'll just rant. Yeah. The good, the good news is that for the first time ever, the city council came out with the New York City Council Mental Health Roadmap, and we were family support is included. Family support is a part of the city council's roadmap. They see that investing in families is an upstream way to support people living with mental illness and the and the 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 draw of um, the system that that they so often are. When we invest in families, everything changes. And for the first time ever, it looks like the city council is going to do that. And that we could not be more grateful to Speaker Adams uh, and and um, Committee uh, Chair Linda Lee, um, Council Member Eric Botcher. I mean, so many city council members have have really aligned with us, and they get it. When we talk about it like this, you get it. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, don't because it makes sense. But again, I I mean, that's got to be based on the advocacy that your folks, meaning inside of your organization and your volunteers that are bringing this to these legislators and these council members. Because, again, if they don't if they don't know, you know, they need us as individuals or us as nonprofits to get out there and educate them and tell them what exactly goes on and how people are positively affected from from this family support i mean this is wow this is great stuff uh you know i knew it was going to be great i knew it was going to be a good conversation i was excited about it but like just to understand this and when i think of my own family dynamic both you know my tight tight little family and then the larger family uh, you know i i used to say sometimes like if and i do if my kid you know falls down and scrapes their knee you know you'll come on walk it off this is not a walk it off conversation. You know, if mm-hmm. something big, there was this movie and I, I pulled it up while you were going through some stuff too. Modern Love was the name of the movie. I think that where uh, Anne Hathaway, it was like these little vignettes and Anne Hathaway plays this woman uh, with bipolar disorder. And, and I was just very taken by, um, by that particular movie. It really resonated with me personally, but um, it, it's about education. And then it's about how do we support each other? It goes back to how I started the show today. It's about support. Shout out to Dr. Larry Grubler. He said, we all need support. That was January, probably 15th of 2021. Second ever show of philanthropy and focus. You were right. We do need to take a break and we'll come <laughs> right back and we're going to bring it home. We're going to bring out, how do we help? Who can we connect you with? If there are individuals or organizations or, or companies that you want to connect with, what's upcoming for NAMI NYC and you, Matt, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. The show is called Philanthropy and Focus. I'm called Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, and we must do whatever we have to do to obliterate the stigma around mental health. We must talk about this 12 months of the year, 365 days of the year. However, in the month of May, we shine a spotlight on it. And here on Philanthropy and Focus, I shine a spotlight on the nonprofit sector. And Matt Kudish is here, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NYC. NAMI NYC. Matt, let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. What do you need? How can we help? How do we get involved? How do we just go up there with a big old sledgehammer and wherever the heck this stigma is? You know what? Maybe we should do a thing like that. We make a big thing that's, I don't know what a stigma actually looks like, but let's make a big old stigma. And I'm going to come through with a sledgehammer and just like Thor and crush it because I really feel that's the visual we need. What say you? Yeah, I think I think you know stigma is re- is really complicated, and uh, and stigma often leads to discrimination, right? We talked about the the uh, the squeaky wheel getting the the grease or the funding, so to speak. If if more people cared about it, there's mm-hmm. a lot of reasons why people don't don't come out of the shadows. Part of it is how we talk about mental illness, so we need to make sure that our words are are aligned with how they should be you did it perfectly when you talked about um, the movie modern love you said she she has bipolar disorder or she lives with bipolar disorder we never want to um talk about someone as if they are their disorder so i would never say he's schizophrenic right or the mentally ill we live with mental illness we we don't we're not cancer we have cancer um and i think that's really important and so when we talk about it in a way that's person first we kind of create a safe space for people who might be struggling to come and talk about it openly. If I'm like, wow, can you believe, uh, you know, that lady was crazy, what she was schizo, um, and I'm living with a mental health condition and you're talking like that, I'm probably not gonna feel safe talking to you about what's going on for me. So we need to create a world where people who are struggling can feel safe coming forward about it, but it's not enough to just put it on the individual. It can't be my responsibility to make sure that I feel safe talking about it. So we, at NAMI NYC, we talk a lot about this culture of inquiry. So if I see someone who's struggling, someone I know, someone in my life who is struggling, and, and what, what I mean by that is we're talking about changes. People are doing things differently. That's what we're looking for when you're thinking about what is a mental illness, how does a mental health sound show up? You're you're behaving in ways that you you historically have not, whether it's showing up late when you've always been on time, missing deadlines, coming, uh, not paying attention to your hygiene as much, withdrawing from things that have historically brought you pleasure. So every Saturday we go and we play tennis and now all of a sudden, no, I'm, I'm not gonna go. Like changes in behavior, changes in how I'm eating, how I'm dressing, all of those changes in my moods. 
Um, and when you see someone who's changing in those ways, you have to be, you have to inquire. I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Is everything, what's going on with you? I'm, I'm seeing this happening right now and that's not normally how you are. Are you okay? You can talk to me. When we, when we reach out and create a safe space and we allow someone to be vulnerable, we listen more than we talk. We don't try to fix it. Don't, we don't tell them what they should do. We just validate, wow, that sounds really hard. Oh, I'm so glad you're trusting me with this. Thank you. I think what gets in the way of people reaching out to folks is the fear of, well, if I say, are you okay? And you say no, what am I supposed to do about that? I don't know how to fix it. You don't have to fix it. I want to turn the heat down on that for people. You, you don't, don't have, have to, to fix it. it. So let, yeah, let's do it. You just have to be a bridge and a connector to the entities that can fix it. Right. Whether it's NAMI New York City, they can help you. They can help you connect to other people who go through similar things. Whether it's, do you have a therapist? Let's get you connected to your therapist. Or if it's at work, is there an employee assistance program? If I find out you're not okay, it's not my role to solve your problems. Right. I just need to be your ally and walk with you to get you the help that you need. Y yeah. And NAMI NYC is a great place to, to get that help. So I think right. that's, those are some of the ways we sort of combat the stigma, I think. Yeah. I, I want, so the family training piece, the family support piece, it, I mean, I want to plug into the work you're doing because for, for my own world, because I think it's, it's critically important just to have the right languaging, as you say, the right understanding. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm going back to this movie again. I just, I guess it stuck with me, but at the end of that particular thing with, with Anne Hathaway, there's a, a woman um, who she, they were coworkers or something, and she, they're sitting down at a diner and she's doing what she's modeling the behavior that you're talking about here. She's listening. She's validating, you know, mm -hmm. um, whereas the character that Anne Hathaway plays hadn't had anybody like because people just because she would, quote unquote, you know, sh show up and then not show up. She would disappear. So so she lost a lot of those relationships and this yeah. one genuinely reaching out. And it was it was just, it, you know, it was a beautiful movie. I, I can't, again, I was sort of months and months ago. I want to go. I want to move real quick because I want to make sure that we don't leave any opportunities on the table of you sharing what's upcoming, what the organization might yeah. need. We always need donations. You and I sort of said, you just had to walk, but you can always be donating. And yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hit on what you might need and how we can help. Yeah, look, if you, if you, if your listeners are philanthropic and they care about mental health and they're looking for an organization that's doing really meaningful work that no one else is doing. What we do is really unique and special, especially that family support piece. We're the only organization in New York City providing direct support to family and friends of adults living with mental illness. And if you are, are interested in supporting that, you can go to NAMINYC.org. You can go to NAMIWalksNYC.org and donate to our walk. We had a really great event at the South Street or at the Seaport. Uh, uh, last Saturday, it rained, but that didn't keep more than 2,000 people from coming out. For the second year in a row, we raised more than a million dollars. And with your help, we can get to 1.1, which would be a record. But we also need volunteers. We are very volunteer uh, reliant. We have over 330 active volunteers right now who facilitate our support groups, who teach our education classes, who are mentors to family members, through our family match mentoring program, who are our advocacy ambassadors, who go out there and connect with their legislators in the district they reside to advocate for our policy agenda, to advocate for the funding that we hope to get from city council and from the state senate and state assembly. There's so many ways to get involved. You can answer calls on our helpline. You can help us out with administrative things in the office. 
we live on volunteers. Uh, and if you're living with mental illness or you love someone who does, this is a really great place for you to get involved and connect with other people who go through what you're going through, find community, which is so important, um, and, and get more involved. I love it. I, I, you know, I'm on this trip for called 60 days of service and, um, you know, I'm up to day 48. So I, we got to find something to plug me into. I got a big old mouth. I like to talk to people. That advocacy thing sounds pretty interesting to me. And again, because I stamp my feet about this conversation so much, it, it seems like I'm I'm drawn to that work. So we need to talk about that. Uh, you know, and I, yeah, I feel like that guy on um, Saturday Night Live, you know, uh, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. But like, that's mm -hmm. the thing. People do like Tommy D, the caricature, or the real guy too. But it's about it's about the connection piece. So I'd love to talk to you more about that offline as they say any upcoming events matt you want to tell me about uh so upcoming you know we're we're july is minority mental health month and so we don't have the details yet but we're absolutely planning a, a really important uh program uh and, and public event to take place in july to honor uh bipoc communities and um, other minority groups that uh, are dealing with mental health issues who where the stigma is even higher yeah. than it is in in other people and and um, if you want to get on our mailing list, that's the best way to learn how what what's coming up. If you go to our website, NAMI, NYC, N-A-M-I, NYC.org, you can join our mailing list. You can find out about all the programs that we offer. That's the best way. And I'll tell you, if, if you want to join the support group, it's never been easier. Now that everything is virtual, right. you can look at our calendar on our website and either show up to our office at the right day and time or click the link on the right day and time. And you are literally in a support group. You don't even need to talk to us. So it couldn't be easier to get help and connect. And that's again, for people living with mental illness and also for family members and friends. I love that. I certainly am gonna plug into some of those support groups just for some of the stuff that, you know, in my own world we deal with. And I think it's critically important to get that support and that education piece. Matt, I appreciate you. I appreciate this just really in honor of this particular month for you being here on behalf of NAMI NYC and behalf of, you know, your volunteers, your staff, and everybody that does the work, and, and certainly the people who need the support. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Tommy. It's been great. It went flew by. I wish we had another hour. I know. That's what. So at the beginning of the show, we said we might have to do this once a month. Now you said it flew by. We'll talk. <laughs> I'll text you later. Listen, everybody, make it a great day. Be compassionate. Validate your loved ones. Have a culture of inquiry. Check in with people. Please check in with people, okay? Give the support and the love. I appreciate you all. Make it a great day. Make it a great weekend. Thank you for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice Memorial Day. Take care. Later. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. 
While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 